Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Steph Nugebauer. My special guest today is Dr. Randall Schrader, who is kind enough to give us his time and no charge to point you, me, and all of our Friends for Life listeners toward practical tools that lead to marital happiness. And who doesn't want that? I know that I'm eager to dive in, but uh, before we do, Randy, would you please introduce yourself? Stephanie, it is my privilege and pleasure to be with you and to help your listeners uh, grow in their marriages and strengthen their oneness in Christ. Uh, Just a little about me personally, uh, my wife and I just uh, last week Uh, celebrated our 48th wedding anniversary. And in fact, in 1873, 50 years ago, we had our first date. So we've been dating uh, each other for 50 years. Uh, We have two sons that are 46 and 43. Our older son, daughter-in-law, and three grandkids live here in the Indy area, Indianapolis area. That's where my wife and I live in a suburb of Fishers. And uh, our younger son, who is 43, uh, he and his wife, our daughter-in-law, and three grandkids live in Austin, Texas. Uh, in terms of my ministry, I'm a Concordia University Chicago graduate uh, many years ago. Uh, in the 70s, I began my ministry as a Lutheran high school teacher, uh, athletic director, assistant principal. And I also, uh, at the Lutheran high school, was the head varsity football coach and head varsity basketball coach. Uh, for nearly 30 years, I served the Lord at Concordia Theological Seminary. I was a vice president at Concordia Theological Seminary and vice president of student personnel services. I was dean of students at the seminary. And uh, I also was a professor of pastoral counseling. And so I taught uh, future pastors, probably I estimate about 1,600 pastors, how to do premarital pastoral counseling, marriage pastoral counseling, family pastoral counseling, And of course, we're talking about marriage today. And then most recently, Stephanie, I uh, wrote the three-time national award-winning marriage book, Simple Habits for Marital Happiness, as well as the two-time national award-winning parenting book, Simple Habits for Effective Parenting. And so I enjoy uh, helping uh, individuals and marriages and families. In fact, I pray by God's grace, God will give me a healthy mind and a healthy body. And I still have a part-time counseling practice. Uh, and I do 15 to 20 uh, hours a week at Cornerstone Lutheran Church, a uh, large Lutheran church in the Indianapolis area. I think we have about 3,500 members. Uh, I have an office at the church and still continue uh, to do counseling there. Uh, and again, it's just a privilege to be with you and talk about how we can strengthen marriages. Thanks so much for giving us your time. And and like I said, listeners, he is giving us his time for free. And as you heard, his very impressive resume, the fact that he would lend us his ear and his wisdom is such a gift to us. Randy, I am not saying this to make you feel better. This is the best marriage book that I have ever read. The fact that you combine a very practical wisdom, very practical tools, easy to read, very accessible format. Such a gift. And I also am not saying this to make you feel better. Everyone should own this book. Would you please tell us a little bit more about your book? 
I would like to do that, Stephanie, and I deeply appreciate your kind words. And I pray that my Christian marriage book will bless your listeners and uh, bless listeners throughout the, the, our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as well as all Christian churches. And in fact, I should mention, I'm glad to share that Concordia Publishing House now is uh, selling both books. It's on their bulk by Christian books are on their uh, catalog. So I'm kind of pushing Concordia Publishing House here. Uh, but yeah, I would love to talk about the seven chapters that are in my Christian marriage book after teaching premarital counseling, marriage counseling. And I, like you, uh, Stephanie, I've read numerous Christian marriage books, numerous secular marriage books. And what I found, and I'm not being critical, but it just is kind of a sad reality, is that so often Christian authors, secular marriage authors, want to speak in concepts and want to speak in generalities, and they want to talk about principles. And all that's important, but what uh, you and I as spouses need and all couples and spouses need is practical wisdom. We think about the book of Proverbs. Well, it's practical wisdom. The book of James is practical wisdom in Christian living. And so what I tried to do with both my Christian books is provide specific words and actions and common sense wisdom that can make a positive difference for every marriage. Uh, and so I begin, of course, with Jesus Christ paying the price for the sins of the world and then rising victorious so that we have forgiveness of all our sins. The number seven, we all know in the Bible, stands for completion, perfection. And so I have seven chapters that look at the seven areas of a marriage. Uh, and a couple needs to be strong in all seven areas. Otherwise, they could experience uh, marital unhappiness and sometimes severe marital unhappiness if they're weak in any of the seven areas. And so the first chapter is apologizing for giving. And one of the things that you know, Stephanie, is that I tried to make both my Christian books uh, very thin. You know, I didn't want to have a four or 500 book. I didn't want to have any diagrams in there and generalities. And my actually, Stephanie, my uh, PhD doctoral dissertation, the benefits for apologizing, forgiving for a Christian marriage, uh, I wrote 350 pages. And as you know, in my Christian marriage book, I condensed that to the Reader's Digest version uh, of about 22 pages. But yet it all begins with forgiveness. The forgiveness is the reason that you and I Stephanie and all believers have eternal life in heaven. I would say forgiveness is the reason that Christian couples can have a healthy, happy marriage. And, and you mentioned, uh, Stephanie, as we kind of prepared for this, uh, hitting one point in each of the chapters. So I would just mention that what couples, and I would say, don't feel guilty, listeners, 99% of couples don't realize the three parts of the apologizing, forgiving process. The first step is to always say, I'm sorry I hurt you by uh, these words, or I'm sorry I hurt you by these actions. But it's good to use the word hurt because I think that demonstrates compassion for the other spouse. And the second part, Stephanie, is probably the most important part. Uh, that is the humility part, I call it. It's requesting forgiveness with, will you please forgive me? Uh, and so asking the other person 
to forgive. And that takes humility. Uh, and so often it's too easy to get flippant. And 95% of couples, I would say, rarely say, I'm sorry, unfortunately. But if they do, it gets flippant. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. However, when you and I, Stephanie, need to ask, will you please forgive me? That creates humility and uh, really is uh, leads towards repentance. And then the third step, couples often don't, uh, 99% of spouses don't realize, is to actually use the forgive word. To not just say, no problem, I'm over it, no big deal, uh, but actually say, I forgive you. And if it's a difficult, painful hurt to forgive, uh, I saw a couple the other day uh, uh, where there was adultery. A lot of times when the betrayer says to the betrayed spouse, I'm sorry I hurt you by being unfaithful, will you please forgive me? It is extremely difficult to say just, I forgive you. They need to say, with God's help, I will work at forgiving you. And so it's a process for us as humans. Uh, we know in the Bible, God's word, that God forgives and forgets. As humans, all we can do is forgive. We don't forget, and, and that makes it tough. And that's why a lot of times we need to say, with God's help, I'll work at forgiving you. The second chapter is the stay in love habits. And there are four of them. And these same habits were fallen love habits for most couples. Uh, and so I'm just going to touch on it briefly, where couples falling in love would look into each other's eyes for hours and give each other uh, a heart connection. The eyes are the windows to the heart. They talk and talk and talk. That doesn't happen usually, sadly. And when I'm going over the stay in love habits, and I've helped more than 2,000 couples achieve a happy marriage and, of course, taught all this, I say 99% of couples in America are not doing the stay in love habits. We, of course, know the divorce rate's 50%. Uh, I, I believe, in my estimation, 80% of couples are unhappy, and they're just living together out of commitment to God, even Christian couples. But before marriage, couples would talk forever. They would give each other big hugs. They would give each other meaningful kisses, and they would go on a lot of dates, a lot of variety dates. And so it's essential for couples to do the fall in love habits after marriage, and they become stay in love habits. I remember a Lutheran pastor, I counseled he and his wife, and after 25 years, they came to see me to strengthen their Christian marriage. And I remember the pastor's wife saying to me, Dr. Schrader, it's sad. You need to remind us to do these stay in love habits. And I said, pastor's wife, you may say it's sad, and yet... 95 to 90, 99% of couples in America are not doing this, especially after the set first child's born if they have children uh, or the second or third year of marriage. So it is essential that those uh, stay alive habits be in place. Now, I'm going to stop here, Stephanie, if you want, if you have any comments on the first two chapters. And if not, I can keep going. But I'll, I'll ask you if we have any thoughts. I have so many questions. Thank you. First of all, you mentioned the 50% divorce rate. Is the divorce rate about equal across the boards for Christian couples versus non-Christian couples? Or is there any difference? I would say it's, it's kind of equal across the board. And it's because couples don't have the book of Proverbs practical wisdom, be it secular couples or Christian couples. And so they're just lacking in what they need to do daily, like the stay in love habits, to keep their emotional connection 
you know, as Matthew says, Matthew 19, the two shall become one to strengthen their oneness in Christ. And so, yeah, it's kind of, and of course, there's a ton of research studies out there that all vary. But yeah, that's a general rule of thumb. It's 50% Christian or non-Christian. Now, another question is the stay in love habits being the same habits that were the fall in love habits. How do you do this when kids are involved? Practically speaking, where do couples find the time or, or the money to pay for babysitters? Or can you have in-home dates if you can't get a babysitter every week or don't want to afford that in your budget? What do you suggest? Stephanie, those are, those are great questions. And, and when I say a hug and a kiss, what happens after the, again, the second or third year of marriage or the first child is born, couples start giving each other what I call the brother-sister hug and kiss, where it's just that. Uh, what happens at that Easter, you get together with family, it's a quick peck, quick hug, you know, and, and how's your life going? How's your life going? There needs to be a meaningful hug, meaningful kiss. And I would encourage couples when kids are at home to do that in front of the kids. And I can tell you, I've heard it hundreds, if not thousands of times, couples say, you know, we started doing a meaningful hug, meaningful hug, kiss in front of our kids. And if they're young, you know, by young, I'm saying two, four, six, eight, you know, they want to do a group hug. They want to get in with mom and dad and do that group hug and maybe not the group kiss or give mom and dad a kiss on the cheek. But that is good role modeling for children. So, yeah, I think you do it in front of the kids. And, and you, you mentioned, and I suggest, Stephanie, that couples give each other a to shoot for 10 minutes of eye-to-eye, uh, a heart connection, okay? And when kids are at home, if couples can do that three days a week, I say to those couples, God bless you. You're doing great. I never, including my wife and I, when our boys were home, I, I never have had a couple with kids at home who could do it five days a week because kids require care. Child care takes time and it's tough. I mean, you have children, uh, Stephanie, and you know you're doing homework, you're getting ready for bed, you're doing this and that. But if couples can do a 10 minute eye to eye on Saturday, 10-minute eye-to-eye on Sunday, and a 10-minute eye-to-eye during the week, I think that's fantastic. Uh, And so kind of lower your expectations and don't feel that you're not doing a good job as husband and wife if you only do 30 minutes a week. But that makes a huge difference looking into each other's eyes. And after helping more than 2,000 couples, I can tell you that couples never realized, when I say, what was the last time you did that? They said, we can't remember. It's been years when, they, when, when I see a troubled marriage in the first visit. And in the date your mate, you bring up a good point. I suggest that couples with kids at home, and by the way, going back to the 10-minute eye-to-eye, it should be easy for my wife and I to do that. And it is, okay, because we don't have kids at all. So we can do easily 70 minutes a week of looking into each other's eyes, making an emotional connection, praying, we, praying the other way of our eyes closed, but talking together. and uh, date your mate when you don't have kids at home. It should be weekly. It just should for one hour. Again, we're trying to make a heart connection. And when there's no kids at home, then aim for two dates a month for one hour and think outside the box. It doesn't have to be most of the time couples who date your mate, date your mate, they think 6 p.m. Friday, 6 p.m. Saturday. It could be a breakfast. I saw a couple had three children and I saw them in January. This was, gosh, 16 years ago, 2007, but they 
stick in my head because they went on a Saturday morning for breakfast every other week. And I suggest that you kind of mix it up to put variety in your dating experience. And they went to 26 different breakfast places in the year of January, 2007. And, uh, they, they got a teenage, found a teenage girl in the neighborhood to come over and sit with their kids while kids watch cartoons. Doesn't take that long to make eggs and toast. And they went to the restaurant, looked into each other's eyes for 45 minutes. And what amazed me, Stephanie, is they told me, Dr. Schrader, when we did our dates you made on a Saturday morning for breakfast, that weekend was always a great weekend. We didn't argue as a couple. The kids were better. And we just had a wonderful weekend every time we did a date your meet. So again, with, and I have other, a lot more detail in my Christian marriage book on date your mate. And I've had numerous, I think a husband I just saw last week who said, you know, we appreciate you giving specifics about how to date our mate and make it enjoyable and strengthen our oneness in Christ. Because again, that's the goal to strengthen our oneness in Jesus Christ and that leads to emotional connection, physical connection, and that makes a difference. Yes. Randy, the other thing is I've noticed with with kids, and of course, this is a podcast episode about marriage, but often marriage leads to children. And so when children are involved, I found, at least in my own relationship with my husband, that things got a lot more difficult in terms of making those personal connections, whether it's the precious you know, commodity of time or space with each other alone. Uh, whatever that might be, the extra busyness that comes along with kids' schedules and, and all of that. I would like to point out that you said in your book, these two mantras, behaviors first, feelings follow. Then you said, do healthy motions to change my emotions. And so I might just like to add, because I think that those are incredibly helpful, that, that this is an intentional behavior. This is something that you have to uh, you know, write on your calendar. This is something that you have to make a, a, a point of an, in your schedule. Otherwise, it won't be done. And so it's not always that couples are going to feel like doing this initially. But what you're saying is putting in the work reaps great reward. Exactly. That It makes a huge difference, Stephanie. And habits determine the quality of our lives and the quality of our relationships, including our marriage and our parenting. And, and if a marriage is not healthy, you know, I can almost guarantee you the parenting's not going to be healthy because the husband and wife are going to be disagreeing as mom and dad about how to parent the kids. It's just one more issue to deal with. So the marriage needs to be strong. And then you are correct. It begins with behaviors. And I can tell you, Stephanie, I've seen numerous couples where you know, I suggest a 10 second hug, 10 second kiss and think, think about it. All I'm suggesting to me, and it's made a huge difference in every marriage I have held is 20 seconds a day, 10 minutes a day of eye to eye. So that's 10 minutes and 20 seconds a day. We may spend more time than that surfing the internet. Okay. And, and yet I can tell you in a real troubled marriage, sometimes I'll have a, particularly a wife say, I can't kiss my husband for 10 seconds and give him a meaningful kiss because we're that apart. And so I always suggest, as you mentioned, behaviors, first feelings follows it, be it, be an actress or be an actor and just pretend that you care about your spouse and give them a meaningful hug and give them a meaningful kiss to connect. And 
You may not feel like doing the I heard talk. And by the way, the 10 minute I heard talk is never problem talk. Even problems about, well, the car needs new brakes. Who's going to take the car to get the brakes? This is just a bonding time, a positive time together looking into each other's eyes. So yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, Stephanie, because 40 to 80% of our behaviors are habits. And very simply, healthy marriages have more positive habits than they have unhealthy habits. And so when a couple's not happy in their marriage relationship and maybe on the verge of divorce, you know, it's a guarantee that they have more unhealthy habits than healthy habits. All right. So we have two. Let's continue with three and four. Okay. Chapter three, I talk about habits that promote spiritual, emotional, uh, and physical closeness. And so looking at all those areas, certainly I begin with prayer and worship. And a lot of couples don't know how to pray. I, I seen a lot of individuals that say, we don't know how to pray. We never saw our mom and dad pray. And so, you know, couples need to learn how to say prayers to our heavenly father, God. It's a continuous communication with our heavenly father. And I talk about a number of different habits that a couple I want to mention briefly uh, in this chapter three, Stephanie, one is planned. For a happy marriage. And you kind of touched on that, Stephanie, when you said, uh, you know, we want to form good habits. There was a research study done. And by the way, my Christian marriage book and Christian parenting book is through a biblical lens, like I said, book of Proverbs, book of James. And yet I did a lot of research as well. And there was a research study done on couples to try to determine the critical difference between happy marriages and unhappy marriages. And this study found that the critical difference was planning. Happy couples plan time together. They plan for the 10-second hug, 10-second kiss. They plan if they have kids at home to do three eye-to-eye heart connections throughout the week. They plan to do two one-hour dates a month. Uh, Whereas unhappy marriages, what this uh, research study found, Unhappy marriages let their time together happen by chance, just happens by chance. They're not planning. Again, going back to the dating days, when couples are dating, they're always planning how they're going to get together and planning their dates and planning uh, fun activities. And then another key simple habit, and there, by the way, there's 90 simple yet very, very effective habits that make a difference for every Christian marriage and every marriage. But another key one is the four daily essentials. Again, that's based on research. I didn't want my book to be a lot of footnotes and bibliography, so I didn't quote the research study, but it is based on research. But I'm going to mention two of the daily essentials, and two are whenever a spouse leaves the house, they say, goodbye, I love you. And the other spouse says, goodbye, I love you. Uh, What I have found with troubled marriages is that often the words, I love you, are missing and rarely said. In fact, I saw a doctor, a female doctor, the other day at her husband, and I mentioned the daily essentials. And she said, it's been such a long time since we said, I love you. I can't say that to him. And so I suggested wonderful Christian couple that go to church every Sunday, but yet they're that far emotionally disconnected. I said, well, say goodbye. I care about you. And if the, if her husband can say goodbye, I love you, that's great. But 
Couples in troubled marriages infrequently are saying, I love you. Okay. And the other daily essential, or there's four, a second one is whoever goes to bed first at night to say, good night, I love you. Uh, and the other spouse responds, good night, I love you. So the couples are getting four I love you's in every day. And in a troubled marriage, that is not there. The dreaded disease, Stephanie, for every marriage is complacency. Taking one spouse for granted, taking the marriage for granted. And I often have couples in counseling say, I'm going to be a boyfriend to you today. I'm going to be a girlfriend to you today. My wife and I, like I said, started dating in 1973, 50 years ago. I'm going to be a boyfriend to my wife today. She's going to be a girlfriend to me. We get to do that. It's not a have to. It's a get to. Uh, we're motivated by love. You know, we think as Lutheran Christians, we're motivated by the gospel, uh, not by the law. And so we get to follow in the footsteps of Jesus this day and live for our Savior Jesus this day. It's a get to. And so couples need to overcome complacency and watch out for taking each other for granted. Chapter four, of course, is communication habits. Whenever I see a couple, the first session, I'll ask, you know, what is the main problem that you may see? And they both may have differing opinions, but usually one or both spouses will say communication. Uh, and it's how can we communicate effectively with each other? Uh, when we have hurts, how can we lovingly communicate those hurts? I think of Ephesians 4. Uh, God tells us in Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. And we need to remember in love. And so uh, in that chapter four, I talk about, it's kind of my way of expanding the I message that uh, many of us learned in high school or college, how to use the speaking I, not you. And, uh, but it's just following what God tells us uh, in Ephesians to speak the truth in love. Uh, that, that is just so very important. And so that's chapter four. I look at other key communication ideas. I especially I'd explain expectations. You know, expectations impact everything in a marriage. And uh, expectations, communicating those are absolutely essential. And I can tell you, Stephanie, that when, when I'm disappointed in my wife, my first thought is, how could my wife, her name's Jenny, let me down and I meet my expectation? But then I look in the mirror, kind of second use of the law, and uh, sure enough, I forgot to make my expectation known. Or she's disappointed in me and says, how can Randy let me down? Her first thought in her mind. Well, normally it's because it's an unexpressed expectation. And so uh, we need that. And I talk specifically about how to do that with a question. So that's chapters three and chapter four that are, again, essential. Both Christian books are not a buffet where you say, oh, I'll do this simple habit and I will learn how to have respectful dis discussions. No, we need to apologize, forgive, strengthen emotional closeness, communicate effectively, do the stay in love habits. We need to, in a sense, do everything on the marriage buffet. Can I, though, or maybe suggest for those that find that overwhelming to start with all seven at a time and in each chapter you have not one, but like a breakdown of three to four things that you suggest doing Perhaps it would be good for uh, today, we're going to work on this, or this week, we're going to work on this until you build up to incorporating all seven habits. I mean, is that something that you might recommend? Stephanie, that is terrific advice. 
Yeah. I, I often ask couples, what one habit, when you develop it and become excellent at that habit, will make a difference in your marriage? So they can, like you said, maybe work on that one habit personally or together as a couple. I always suggest to couples, think 1% improvement per week. So that means your marriage is going to be 50% healthier at the end of 12 months. Now, does it go quicker than that sometimes? Sure it does. Okay. And, and in fact, I saw a couple, uh, both wanted a divorce. One had a, had, had a lawyer, had filed. And I only saw them three sessions because they were both readers and they were both hard workers at their marriage, but they didn't have the practical wisdom to know how to do it. In fact, both of them said, we read the top 10 Christian marriage books, very strong Christian couple, went to church every Sunday. Uh, and, and they said, uh, it was concepts and generalities. We've read your book. Our marriage is healthy and happy. Now we don't need to come back after three visits. In fact, they said, when we do the simple habits in your book, we are almost guaranteed a happy marriage. It's a guarantee. And, and I would say, because those habits are all godly words, godly behaviors, it is a guarantee. Now, we're all imperfect. My wife and I don't have a perfect marriage. We can hurt each other most of the time unintentionally, but it could be intentionally at times. But yeah, I love what you said, Stephanie, that couples don't need to do everything at once. It's kind of like if we had a 16 ounce steak and put the whole steak in our mouth, we could probably try to chew that steak till Jesus returns and we couldn't get it eaten. <laughs> but if we cut that steak into 16 small bites. Now we can take one bite at a time and eat that steak. So yeah, so I would suggest that they look at apologizing, forgiving first, forgiveness, and actually, it's chapter six. We're going to get there. And in the second chapter, they read is how you have respectful discussions, okay? And and pick ideas there that can make a difference in their marriage. So yeah, great wisdom on your part, Stephanie. Thanks for suggesting that. And obviously, it's ideal that both members of the marriage are working on this at the same time. But can you still find success, say, if either the wife or the husband is the only one willing to put forth this effort? Well, it takes two to make a healthy, happy Christian marriage. It only takes one to break it. Yet, spouses need to be following Jesus, and no matter what the other spouse does, they still need to do godly words, godly behaviors. And hopefully that'll influence the heart of the other spouse. Let, let me mention, that's a great question, Stephanie. Let me mention a couple of comments. A lot of times, and it's more husbands than wives, husbands are not readers. In fact, I lightheartedly say often uh, after high school or college, a, a guy doesn't read a book again. <laughs> so I intentionally, because, you know, I'll, I'll have wives say, well, what if my uh, husband won't read? Well, all you know from reading my Christian books, all of my simple yet very effective habits are usually two pages, maybe three pages. And so husbands will take the time for three or four minutes to read two or three pages and talk about that simple yet very effective habit, okay? Again, as you ask, spouses need to demonstrate godly words and behaviors no matter what, but yet because the simple yet very ha effective habits are short, hopefully the other spouse will at least take a look at that. The other thing I would recommend is uh, I have been on focus on the family. I don't know 
how many of your listeners have heard of Focus on the Family? It's a Christian organization started by Dr. James Dobson back in the late 70s or early 80s. I've done six national interviews and a, a lot of smaller interviews where they ask me different things uh, about marriage and parenting. I've had a number of couples that watch one video on S Sunday evening. Maybe this week it's marriage. If they have kids, the next Sunday it's parenting. The next Sunday it's marriage. And they just, those videos are uh, 25 minutes at the longest. And some are a lot shorter down to 10 minutes. And I can tell you, I had a wife. In fact, it was from this wife's idea. Again, it was another couple that was struggling on avoiding divorce and they're healthy and happy. And the wife texted me and said, we don't need to come back. We've got your two Christian books. And she said, uh, your two books and your videos have been wonderful. And she put wonderful in all caps resources. And she said, my husband and I are finally uh, united as parents and our marriage is on a solid foundation and we are much happier. And they came up with the idea to watch one video every Sunday. They do it in the evening. A lot of couples will do it Sunday afternoon while the kids are sleeping or whatever. But you asked a question about just doing one simple habit. But yeah, just start small and eventually you're going to get there as a couple and as parents. Great. Let's go to number five. No, number five are uh, habits that guard our relationship. And I have probably 15, 16 problems that can damage a marriage in a heartbeat. In fact, I just did a uh, virtual counseling session last week with a pastor, not a Lutheran pastor, uh, uh, a, a Christian pastor in the Indianapolis area. And his wife has been unfaithful with a, a guy at the gym where she would go work out. Okay. And so we need to understand how to guard our relationship against opposite sex friendships. Uh, because everyone is capable of being unfaithful. Uh, and Satan is a roaring lion and would like to devour every Christian and to devour every marriage and uh, hurt every home, Christian home. So uh, there's a, you know, I have talk about no secrets. I talk about the importance in guarding a relationship to avoid sarcasm. Uh, the Greek word for sarcasm is tearing of flesh. And we don't want to tear our spouse's flesh. And 90% of our sarcasm, usually when we do that, it is attacking and it's negative and it's a put down. It's an emotional slab to the other spouse because they're the butt of the joke. And we don't realize how sarcasm uh, can damage a uh, marriage. In fact, the last counseling session I had last night at 4.30 was with a, another pastor, uh, not a Lutheran pastor, another Christian pastor in the Indianapolis area. He came in with his wife and then two of his teenage kids. He has four teenagers. But uh, I mentioned uh, in the course of counseling, we we're talking about a lot of different things, but it just came up to avoid sarcasm. And they all looked at each other like, gosh, sarcasm is the way we interact in our home. And I said, from this day forward, and I talked about, you know, tearing a flesh, no more sarcasm. And they all agreed that right there is going to make a big difference in their family relationship. That was a first session, but, but that's just huge. And I think the other thing is, I just uh, last Friday spoke to about 30 moms at a Mothers of Preschoolers group, a MOPS group it's called. I don't know if your listeners have heard of that, but it's a very big national group. 
I had spoken to that group. It was at a Presbyterian church four years ago before COVID. And one of the moms said, uh, Dr. Schrader, would you mention uh, the importance that there is no A or A plus marriage? And I know in life there can be A plus and A grades, but in terms of relationships and human beings, the best anybody can be is an A minus. We are all imperfect. We're all flawed. We're all sinners. And I always say there is no A or A plus marriage, A or A plus parent, A or A plus Christian. A minus is the best we can be. Uh, in fact, we think of the apostle Paul, he was just an A minus. What did he say? The good I want to do, I don't always do it. Oh, that dumb, evil thing I don't want to do. I keep on doing it. Okay. So he's kind of saying, hey, the best I could be was an A minus. So for all your listeners, uh, it's a key point. This mom said, Dr. Schrader, will you talk about this? Because you mentioned it last time and I didn't do it at, this was at the end of the, my hour presentation on Friday, uh, the, that when you have kids at home, the best of marriage can be as a B minus. Because again, children require care. Child care takes time. That's time away from the marriage. So uh, Stephanie, you and your husband having kids at home, any of your other listeners having kids at home, the best your marriage probably is going to be when you have kids at home is a B minus because you're trying to keep balance. You're trying to be uh, a follower of Jesus, a, a healthy Christian. You're trying to be a spouse. You're trying to be uh, a parent, a mom. Uh, you're doing the, this right now, interview for KFUO. And so, you know, you got to keep balanced. Now, my wife and I can have an A-minus marriage because we don't have any kids at home. And every so often, I mean, even though she's a marriage expert, she knows these simple habits, I'm a marriage expert, we can slide down to B-minus and because we're sinners and then we work our way back up to A-minus. So yeah, if that those that's another important guard is to recognize there is no A or A plus marriage. And if you have kids at home with B minus, but there's a lot of different guards to protect the marriage from harm. And then chapter six is how to have respectful disagreement discussions rather than painful arguments. And I can tell you, Stephanie, chapter six has probably, I've, I've probably had 400 to 500 couples say, uh, Randy, chapter six, your respectful disagreement guidelines saved our marriage from divorce. Imagine that one chapter in my book has saved four or 500 marriages from divorce. Uh, and one of the first questions I ask couples in a, in a early session, usually the first session is what are your disagreement guidelines? And almost a hundred percent of the time couples say, we don't have any disagreement guidelines. Well, we're all different as Christians, uh, and, and we have differing opinions. And my wife and I can have differing opinions. Uh, and I always say a disagreement is healthy. You're not going to be emotionally connected if you're not, not having disagreements. What is not healthy are arguments, fights, and conflicts. Arguments are two people screaming and yelling at each other, calling each other names. Fights are two third graders hitting each other on the playground. Conflicts are two countries going to war. We don't want to go to war in our marriages. And yet, almost every couple in America doesn't realize that having disagreement guidelines have saved us from, uh, uh, saved marriages from divorce. Uh, and, and in fact, I just uh, 
saw a man the other day who's in his early 50s. He works for a huge corporation. He just went to China, went to Mexico. He goes all over the world for his corporation. And he said, I've read tons of books in my life. And he said, I've never found a book like your Christian marriage book that is, he said, it's the top book I've ever read. And he said, I've never seen the 16 guidelines on respectful discussions. Now, until he said 16 guidelines, I didn't realize I had 16. I just knew I put those guidelines in there to help couples have a happy marriage. But yeah, he, he actually counted them up and said they're 16. Uh, but yeah, we need to have, and I could just mention one for your listeners, Stephanie, couples need to always be seated when they have a serious discussion. Standing is an intimidating posture. It's easy to yell when we're standing. Uh, we're poor listeners when we're standing. In the business world, when there's uh, something to be discussed, everyone goes and sits around the conference table. They don't all go stand up in a room and talk. They sit down so they listen better and look for solutions. And when I ask couples, when was the last time you had a painful argument where one or both of you standing, almost 100% of the time, the answer is yes, one or both were standing. Uh, and, and so that's a key guideline uh, for respectful discussions. And, and just to mention one more is to always stay inside the nines. Never have a serious discussion before nine in the morning, after nine at night. We need to have energy when we have disagreement discussions so that we're looking for solutions and not for blame. And when we're tired uh, as humans, it's so easy for us to attack and blame. Okay. And so again, I'll ask couples, when was the last time you had a painful yelling argument or, or fight? And was it before nine in the morning, after nine o'clock at night? Almost a hundred percent of the time, the answer is yes. Uh, and, and I saw a couple uh, recently that uh, the husband said he had a great sense of humor. He said, so you're saying we should not be standing up, having a glass of wine at 11 o'clock at night and having a disagreement discussion that ended in a huge argument. And I said, yep. He's, I said, yeah, you see right there. And he kind of chuckled and that turned their marriage around, you know, to stay inside the nines, always be seated. Now, as you asked a while ago, Stephanie, that can be tough when you have kids. Okay. And you kind of have to schedule discussions when the kids are, are, depending on the age of the kids, some couples will go in the basement, some couples will go to the bedroom, take two chairs in the bedroom. So yeah, that can be kind of a challenge. But uh, that is chapter six, disagreement specific guidelines that have saved marriages from divorce. And might I add, when we're talking about respectfully disagreeing, you also mentioned the habit or kind of way of relating to each other that marriages can get into that involve passive aggressive communication, which you say that even, you know, silence in a marriage is absolutely communicating uh, just because you don't use words doesn't mean that it doesn't communicate something. And so what would a, a, an important guideline be for couples who are kind of in that pattern of behavior? Yeah, that's a great point. And, I, and what I suggest Stephanie, is that they go to, going back to the communication chapter in Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love, is they type out their feelings with that speak the truth love formula, in love formula that I have in, in the communication chapter, and then save it as draft, just so they can get their emotions out. And the fourth step in that 
speak the truth love formula is to offer a solution with a will you please. Will you please do it this way or will you please do it that way? And then if they still feel the need to share that email the next day, they can. But they just got all their emotions out so they didn't say anything to hurt their marriage or they could write it out in a note, okay? Because a lot of times, again, we got to stay inside the lines, always be seated. It will uh, lead to a harsh ending. John Gottman is probably the marriage research expert today, and he found that harsh endings lead to unhappiness and divorce. So we absolutely, in our Christian marriages, need to avoid harsh endings. And I remember helping a uh, Lutheran pastor and his wife years ago, probably 30 years ago, she said, well, when I have a hurt, I want to talk about it right now. And I said, well, pastor's wife, are you going to have a harsh ending or a nice ending? And she said, well, I guess it'll be harsh because it will be both irritable. Okay. I said, well, you need to, as you're suggesting and brought up again, uh, Stephanie, type out your feelings in an email and save it as draft or write a note, save it. Uh, because if you have that discussion, you're going to have a harsh ending and that's just going to damage your marriage. And that makes Satan, the roaring lion happy. Uh, and so, yeah, you bring up a, a good point to get out our, you know, don't bottle up your feelings and then schedule that discussion. But, you know, don't email your email to your spouse or, or mail the letter to your spouse. This is getting your feelings out there on paper form and then kind of pondering it before you decide if you want to actually verbally communicate any of this with your spouse or if, if you let it go. Is that right? Yes. I appreciate your clarification, Stephanie. Yeah. And, and if, if, you know, if they feel like they need to send that email, they can do it the next day or the following day. But hopefully what they can do is say, let's schedule this discussion for tomorrow inside the nines or the next day inside the nines, you know, and, and rather than uh, do it right at that moment when they're emotional and damage their marriage, uh, we just don't want that. And, and that's God pleasing to do it that way. And lastly, number seven. Now, number seven is how to budget, save and spend together. Financial harmony needs to be a huge goal. Stephanie, the number one issue that couples fight about is uh, would be finances. Uh, and yet they don't, again, have financial guidelines. And so there's specific guidelines there to help couples uh, have harmony and peace in terms of finances. Probably the biggest one is I simple yet effective habit, and there's a lot of good ones there, I believe, would be disclose, discuss, decide. And, and couples will have an approval limit, could be $10, could be $50, could be, I've had couples go as high as $500, but say the approval limit is $50, that they won't purchase a, uh, just a random item uh, at the store. Uh, if one of them sees something for $55, they go home, disclose, I saw this item, I'd like to get it. They discuss together the pros, the cons, does it fit within the budget? And then they decide together, you know, is this a need, a want? And again, does it fit within the budget? And so that prevents impulsive spending. Uh, you know, I've heard it over and over. My spouse just spends and never asks, uh, even going to Amazon, let's say. And so we need to slow down and disclose, discuss, decide. Uh, but that seventh chapter is on creating financial harmony. And again, I Hope your listeners can hear that we need to have simple yet very effective godly words, godly behaviors, common sense wisdom in all seven of these areas. 
because if a couple is weak in one area, uh, it can damage their marriage. And going back to what you said, uh, Stephanie, and I appreciate it, great wisdom, couples need to start small. You know, what is the most important, simple, yet very effective habit that could improve our marriage 1% this week, you know? And then the next week, they can both pick another one. Uh, simple yet very effective habit that can improve their Christian marriage 1%. So those are the seven chapters in Simple Habits for Marital Happiness. Thank you. This is like drinking from a fire hose in a very good way. I appreciate your kind words. Just to wrap up, for the Christian, marriage serves a different purpose than for a non-Christian couple. And we've gotten into that before in our podcast, so we don't need to get in specifics. But why is it important for Christian couples to work towards marital happiness? What ultimately is the goal for a Christian couple? For Christian couples, as well as for Christians in general, you know, we want to witness to our faith in Christ crucified and risen. You know, the old cliche is true. Your actions are speaking so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying. And so that is essential to role model what a healthy marriage looks like, and Christians can do that and at the same time be a good witness to Jesus. Uh, our adversary, the devil, wins out when a Christian marriage breaks up uh, or when they see Christian couples fighting and not having a healthy relationship. And so, you know, daily uh, when we wake up in the morning, we want to pray uh, to live for our Savior Jesus today through our words and actions. And so when couples do that, that's good uh, role modeling and witnesses to our faith. And as you say in your book, a Christian marriage will experience the greatest happiness when both spouses are growing together in their faith in Jesus, which is the ultimate walk in our Christian life, uh, growing in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord and living in the truth. Thank you so much, Randy, for joining us. Again, I want to remind listeners that his book, Simple Habits for Marital Happiness, can now be found on cph.org as well. Thank you so much, Randy, for joining us today. It was my privilege and pleasure, Stephanie, and God's richest blessings uh, upon your life and your listeners' life and all of their relationships. And thanks again uh, so very much for having me. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and don't forget to click the follower subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. New episodes drop twice each month. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. 